This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Here's the song that we'd like to do for all the younger set of people, the teenagers and what have you. This one's called Vacation Zope. Joe's Mom's Basement. It's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's Mom's neighbor, Doug, and happy Star Wars Day. Get it? May the 4th? Ah, never mind. Hey, wait a minute. But Steve, Steve, stop the music. Stop the music. Oh, oh sorry. Sorry. Who the hell are uh, you? Yeah, you and I have, we haven't talked in a while. I'm the, I'm the sound guy. Sound guy? You sound exactly like that stunt double dude we had a couple of weeks ago. No, different guy. Joe hired me to do sounds. How long have you been down here? Let's see. Nine, 12, yeah, 2012. 2012? That's when the show first started. Yeah. Been a long running gig for a sound effects guy. This is a finance show. We don't use no sound effects. (laughs) Yeah, you're telling me. All right, well, we'll figure out how to best use you later. Steve, let's light this candle again. Start the music, all right? Three, two, one. Live from Joe's mom's basement. It's the Stacking Benjamin Show. Hey, happy Star Wars Day. Get it? May the 4th. On today's show, just like Darth Vader could exert influence over his subjects, how do you exert your influence? Today, we'll ask the head of one of America's top advertising agencies, 
Jason Harris. Plus, what's happening with all of our other charities while coronavirus-related causes flood the spotlight? Wah, wah. I'm not really sure that was appropriate. Okay, but we'll share that during today's headlines, and we'll throw out the Haven Lifeline. Plus, save time for my incredible trivia. And now, two guys go who... team, go. Go, team, go. Go. Stop. Okay, team. all right. Quit it. Quit it. Will you quit it? Here they come. Joe and O. J-J-J-J-G. Happy May 4th to you, or may the 4th be with you. I am Joe Salci. Hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter. And here across from me at the planet we call Mom's Basement, it's Mr. OG. Did you see last week that Disney sent out a tweet that said, if you use hashtag May the 4th, you're allowing us to use it? It was like their global declaration that we're going to steal your stuff. We're we're, going to take all your tweets. We're taking it today. We own every tweet that you have because that's our that's property. What that's what they're trying to say. I'm, I'm not sure that they actually own May the 4th as a day or hashtag, but but they tried and they're going to try. So I think and it's funny. Is somebody going to stop them? Like if Disney wants nope. to retweet your stuff, would you stop them? <laughs> hey, go for it, Disney. Take it. Deal. Be fantastic. Uh, great show today. We got Jason Harris coming up on the show. This man knows how to structure things so that you make a better presentation. And all of us, I think, besides the fact that we might need a haircut or two, we're on Zoom calls now for work or we're getting ready, hopefully, to begin applying for jobs again as the as the market opens up. I think all of us need presentation skills. So what a way to start this eight weeks of shows there is no better way to start this eight weeks of shows than uh, than to talk about remembering the presentation, OG. Like, make sure you'd grow a full beard and mustache. This is getting a little, it's getting a little unruly, don't you think? I just think you like it because you like sitting there, combing your hands through it, mm. pret- pretending you're smart. Mm. It's like when you wear your glasses and you take them off I, and you stand there and hold them. Mm. <laughs> just, just, that's a whole reason to wear glasses. It's hmm. so great. Take them off and you can like bite the end of them like you're thinking really hard. Hmm. Well, you know where our sound effects guy gets all of his uh, great sound effects? He goes to Fiverr. Big thanks to Fiverr for supporting Stacky Benjamins. It's easy to find freelance talent, maybe better than our sound effects guy, for your business or product. Just use Fiverr the other day. If you haven't, it's amazing. <laughs> I've used it before and it's super simple. You just like literally go, I want to do this thing. And somebody goes, I'll do it. It'll be five bucks. I'll do it for 11 bucks. I'll do it for $14, whatever. It was so great. And it's easy. Yeah. We found, um, for those of you that heard our uh, coffee commercial a couple of weeks ago, the, the woman who's the narrator on our coffee commercial mm-hmm. right from Fiverr. Don't waste any more time. Get 10% off and the service you deserve by going to F I V E R R.com and use code SB. Great show today. We got Jason Harris coming up to kick off these eight weeks. Of course, it's May the 4th be with you day. Sure. We're going to have some fun around that too. So let's get the party started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show. Our stacking Benjamin's headlines. 
Our first headline comes to us from MarketWatch. News out last Thursday morning, U.S. jobless claims climbed to 3.8 million in late April to push the coronavirus total to 30 million people, OG, without a job. And the market rallied. (laughs) This piece written by Jeffrey Bartash. Pace of layoffs tied to pandemic slowing, but still extremely high. The numbers, some 3.8 million workers who lost their jobs applied last week for unemployment benefits, bringing a record number of layoffs during the coronavirus crisis to about 30 million in a month and a half. 30 million people in a month and a half. The weekly pace of layoffs has slowed since peaking at 6.9 million at the end of March, but millions more still expected to apply in the next several weeks, and many are still waiting for states to process and approve their claims. That gets into, uh, man, a lot, a lot, 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 lot. Yeah, not kidding. Whether you are self-employed and you're looking for help or you're unemployed, this is the time, OG, that you got to stay, no matter how depressing the news gets, you have to stay on top of the news to know what programs are available. Because now we're not only seeing the federal government do it. I mean, here in Detroit, uh, Detroit partnered with Goldman Sachs for a new incredibly low interest loan program for people that are inside the city. So if you live in Detroit and you have a business, you've got something else going on. You see that different states have programs. Uh, there are programs all over the place right now. And I think this is the time to know what's going on in your backyard. It feels like, you know, we're on the other side of the hill and it may not be the case. You know, this is my uneducated opinion about the matter. But I do think that, you know, as more and more people start popping their heads up again, going, okay, I'm past the point of like hoarding toilet paper and meat. Uh, Amazon just sent me my 36 pack that I get every two months. So I'm declaring the toilet paper shortage over based on my anecdotal reference. At the OG house. Yes. Things are changing so quickly. And everyone else is starting to think the same thing, right? Everybody else is starting to say, okay, what am I going to do? Now, hopefully, I guess we'll see how this all plays out, but hopefully a lot of those jobs that were lost come back as counties and states and areas start to reopen. I know in our town, for example, they're saying a lot of things can be open, but only at 25%. Right. You know, so what is, is that 25% of the staff also, you know, cause you only have 25% of the customers. Well, it's funny you say that. Look? Yeah. Because I was uh, watching a news report yesterday with a restaurant owner saying, I'm glad that we can be open, but if I can only have 25% of the people in the store, I still have all these fixed costs that are, you know, one or a hundred. I, I either, was just thinking about that. Yeah. Y- y- yeah. So my you profit margin, you still need uh, yeah. carrots and, you know, hamburger and stuff like that. Yeah, going to be going to still be be a difficult time. Why, though, OG, uh, to your point earlier, the stock market up the first three days of last week before that news hit on Thursday. What the heck's going on with this rally? I think people are finally realizing that the stock market and the economy are not the same thing. There's some correlation there. But if you look through the history of stock market performance, Stock market bottomed out, take the 2008, 2009 recession. Stock market bottomed March of 2009. The recession, according to the government, wasn't over until October of 2009. That period of time, and I'm going to be wrong on this number because I'm going off memory here, but from March till October, I think the market was up like 50% during that period of time. The S&P went from 600 to 1,200. 
but the recession wasn't over. So why is it going up? Because stocks are priced based on future expectations. And as this thing, whatever this is, becomes clearer and clearer in terms of the impact that it's going to make or how it's going to affect earnings and that sort of stuff, people are saying, hey, yeah, the earnings are going to suck this this quarter. We get that. But in a year from now, it's going to be fine. Or we that's what we, you know, that's what the market is pricing in. So don't correlate this the economy or what's going on in your local area or what's going on with your job. Don't look at that from the perspective of that's the same thing as the stock market because you're already seeing the difference there. And that's why it's dangerous also to equate what you watch in the news or read in the news with what's going on in the stock market. I mean, how many times have we had where you'll you'll see the economy's bad, the economy's bad, things are slowing, whatever on the news, which may or may not be true depending on which news source you're you're looking at. But but even if it is true, it doesn't mean that's what's happening in your portfolio. That's right. Yeah. Our second headline comes to us from Barron's, and uh, this is their subsite called Penta. It's written by Samantha Brooks. I found this interesting and, and disturbing. What does the philanthropy landscape look like for foundations not related to the COVID-19 crisis? I think I could probably write this for Samantha without even reading it. But let's dig in a little bit. Samantha writes, with a range of philanthropists, including Twitter's Jack Dorsey and the band U2 donated to COVID-19 related causes, it would seem as though the climate for giving is strong. But when it comes to foundations whose focus is outside the health crisis calamity, such as those related to women's rights, the arts and animal rescue, philanthropy during the coronavirus era is a tumultuous landscape changing by the day. Quote, we're seeing more of our long-term donors giving more money to COVID-19 charities right now, says Greg Ratliff, a vice president at Rockefeller Philanthropy Advisors, where he leads a team responsible for advising high net worth individuals about investment strategies. Our different groups of donors who have been giving away and investing in nonprofits for years are continuing that while adding an emergency fund for corona-related causes. I didn't think about the impact here, OG, on charitable giving, but you got to believe that, man, if it doesn't have anything to do with the health crisis, there's suffering going on in those quarters as well. Well, and people are just not thinking outside the box right now. You know, they're not thinking outside of their personal austerity plan. I think one of the things that helped us quite a bit was a lot of our charitable giving personally is set up automatically. So we just have it a systematic, you know, withdrawal just out of our account, just like a regular investment plan would be. And I did think about changing it a a month and a half ago. I said, well, maybe we should kind of let off the gas, but kind of like what they were talking about there, a lot of people are doing that. And if we could still keep doing it and it didn't really, you know, affect our cash flow too much, I said, well, we can always change it a little bit later if we need to. So let's just keep it going during this time. So just like anything else, we view that charitable stuff as just kind of part of our normal monthly budget. So just like anything, it's, you know, it's available to be cut if necessary, but, uh, but thankfully we weren't you know forced to do that over the last couple of months. If you're able to give and uh, you are supporting a cause that isn't directly related to COVID-19, you know, even super responsible charities, OG that have very low cost versus the amount that they're using for whatever their mission is, they still have overhead. And if everything gets cut, you could see that organization go bye-bye that may serve an important cause. So 
leaving that turned on, I think is, is important to remember during this as well. As you say, probably not thing number one on a lot of people's minds, but man, if you can afford to give, keeping that moving is helps a lot of people. There's also, by the way, there's some ways to give even when you can't. I know that there's people listening to this show that have life insurance policies that maybe are paid off or that they no longer need anymore. Just setting those up so they go to the charity of your choice is a way, I think, to keep giving when you don't think you can afford to right now. Yeah, especially if you're, from a financial planning standpoint, already squared away. You know, I think on the term insurance side, perhaps you just cancel the policy and take the monthly premium and you can donate it if you want. But permanent policies, especially ones that are paid up, are a great candidate to be put in a trust or put as a charitable donation, you know, for an organization that you care about later. I think that is one lesson here. I think the other lesson from our first piece, I'll go back, I'll say it again, maybe for the fifth time today. If you're either unemployed, you own a small business, or uh, you think things are getting shaky, you want to know what programs are available, not just through the federal government, but also through the state government and through your local community. We have a resource uh, for people with some basic links at stackybenjamins.com forward slash coronavirus. However, that list, because we're not hooked into every community and every affinity group in the United States, that's just one little place to begin. And it's well worth your time to do a little research. Jason Harris, waiting on hold on Dad Shortwave. He's a co-founder and CEO of the award-winning creative agency Mechanism and the co-founder of the Creative Alliance. He works closely with a lot of brands. Today, he's going to work with our brand, with your brand, to help you create provocative campaigns that will engage your audience. He's worked with uh, a few brands that people might know, OG. Ever heard of something called Peloton? Yes, that thing that you have in your bedroom that you put all your clothes on, right? Exactly. Yes. I'm sure he makes sure that you're using that most space most efficiently. Ben and Jerry's. That's what you Definitely heard of those places. That's That's what you eat. While you look at the pile of clothes on your Peloton. (laughs) While you're leaning against the Peloton, you you lean against it and have your Ben and Jerry's. Miller Coors. It's what you drink while you're thinking that maybe tomorrow. <laughs> what, you, what you drink while you're eating your Ben and Jerry's looking at your Peloton. I see the pattern. Keep going. Give H- me another one. HBO. <laughs> what you watch while you eat, while you drink, while you look at. And the United Nations. While you commiserate with people around the world who are doing the same thing say, you're I doing. Know, I don't know what to do with that. Yeah, one. there you go. Uh, mechanism, twice named Ad Ages, best places to work. Agency A-List and Creativity's Creative 50. Jason's also been named in the top 10 most influential social impact leaders, as well as 4A's list of 100 people who make advertising great. I got to tell you, every time I read anything that Jason has written, I absolutely love it. So I can't wait to dig in and talk to him about you making an impression wherever you go. Jason Harris. And joining me on my dad shortwave, guy we'd love to hang out with in the basement, but unfortunately, this uh, virus thing isn't going to let us do it. Jason Harris is here. How are you, man? I'm good, man. Uh, it's great to be here. I wish I was at that card table. I wish yeah. you were too, because you and I 
based on everything I've read about you, you and I would have the best conversation about music. You're a Joe Strummer fan. I am. I love the Clash. Yeah, I played. Uh, I played the bass guitar in a lot of different bands. Just performed live, and I've always been into music. But I played. Uh, I played the bass because I wasn't that talented. <laughs> I couldn't play. <laughs> I couldn't play guitar, and I, I was like, "What's easier than guitar? Well, it's only got four strings." Well, yeah, I was it's, a. It's a little easier. I was a wedding DJ because I couldn't play. Shit. So, oh, no way. I would love to have seen that. That's it, amazing. Oh, there were some epic horror stories. But I think, and tell me what you think about this. And this is way off topic, but Joe Strummer, I think that the album he made when he passed away was his best work of his entire life, was way better than anything he did with it. And don't get me wrong, I love The Clash, but I thought he just kept getting better and better with age. Yeah, I agree. I think that, yes, but I also think that, uh, you can't take away that The Clash influenced so many different bands that came after The Clash and that the way they mixed all kinds of different music together has, you know, it's that's really challenging to do. And then they always had a message, you know, on top of it. Well, you're, um, you're a guy, by the way, that mixes stuff. So your parents made you go to college. Tell me if I get any of this wrong uh, for yeah, economics, right. right? So you could be, yeah. you could be like us here in the basement, get along with the cool nerdy finance kids, but you really wanted art history. And I feel like Jason, what you do now kind of combines the two of those because you've got the economics of the brand, but you have to kind of bring some soul and some history to your work, don't you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's a creative industry. We do advertising for brands. The product we make at the end of the day is a creative product where it's visual and copy coming together and whatever platform that work lives on, it is artistic or creative in some sense, but you're also pushing and peddling a product or service, you know, you're, you're wrapping those things together. But I, yeah, my, my parents were, you know, they said if I, they were paying for college, I had to get a business degree. So I said, okay, well, I'm, I'm not going to not go to college. Uh, and I don't want to not do that and be in debt. So I'll, I'll get an economics degree, I guess. And it was, it was a painful slog for me. It was all those accounting classes and statistics and econ. Oof. It was, it was challenging. How did you make the switch then? Well, I knew since I was 12 or 13, I wanted to be in advertising. So I knew as a kid, I thought it couldn't hurt to have that background, that knowledge of business. Uh, but it was just a daily struggle for me to wrap, to wire my brain that way. And now I'm a CEO, so I need all that knowledge uh, and I use it, uh, which is good. But uh, at the time when I was a young man in, in school, I didn't really, I didn't really think that way, but I, I grew up on, you know, Lego, my ego and the Kool-Aid man. And, you know, Mikey likes it for life cereal. And I just, I was a TV addict and I'd watch those ads and just love those ads and figure out why they connected and what made them work and why I responded and why I liked them. And I did that at a really young age as, you know, 12 or 13, I was mesmerized by those ads. And at that time you could fast forward them. So, you know, you had to, you had to sit there and watch them. And, uh, I realized somebody does that for a living. Someone's getting paid to come up with those 30 second skits in between the, the shows I'd watch. That seemed like a cool job. Well, it seems like now with, in the age of being able to fast forward that you've got to be able to grab people's attention even quicker. Yeah. You gotta, it's all about the story and the visual and the story and getting your point across and, 
having whatever your idea is for the brand, whatever that story is, how does it translate across all kinds of different platforms? Because with when you crack that story, that story has to be consistent. You, know, you can't have a Mesopotamia of stories out there that no one can follow. It has to be uh, clear and it has to work for all kinds of different platforms today. So it's more challenging today than it's ever been to try to grab that attention. And now I'm mesmerized by every ad is a COVID message about what the brand's doing that's great, you know? And I wonder how, how long that trend's gonna go on. You know, who's, who's making masks, how we support our workers. You know, they got the Kellogg CEO talking about how breakfast is so important and we want to be part of the breakfast table during this hard time. And it's just, I just don't, I don't get the over-indexing of attaching your brand to COVID, you know, unless you're doing something substantial to help, you know. Are you saying that uh, Tony the Tiger isn't essential to solving COVID? I mean, it doesn't hurt to have a little frosted flakes in the morning, but I don't think it's uh, substantially doing anything, no. Well, let's, we're definitely not a, a, uh, experts on that area, but we do love talking about persuasion, and it's obviously easier to earn a living if you can make a persuasive argument. But you tie these two ideas together, Jason, of soul and persuasion. When did being soulful occur to you when it came to persuasion? Well, I think I've always, you know, sort of the genesis behind behind the book was really, I'm, I'm an avid reader of business books. And I was always, I always dive into books to try to get an edge and figure out how to move the company forward and to think about how entrepreneurs and leaders think. And so I was always drawn to those types of books. And as I was reading those, this book took me about three years to complete. I realized that a lot of those uh, tips and tricks and ideas didn't jive with me. It wasn't the way that I was thinking about business. And I think the even today, we live in such an age of distrust and fake news, and you don't know what's happening, and you don't know what to trust a, a lot of the time. And the only way to cut through that, and the only way to really be persuasive is to be unexcusably yourself and to be authentic. That helps you persuade. And then the soulful part is really trying to think about persuading through being yourself, but also what can you do to inspire other people? What are you doing that's bigger than yourself? And that's really the soulful piece. And so that's how it's broken down into the four principles that I live by. Yeah. In, in work and beyond. Yeah. Well, and I want to dig into those here in a second, but there must have been a time. I'm thinking there must have been some aha moment in your life where you're like, you know what? I got to quit pretending and being me is the answer to all of this. Um, yeah. You know, there's, I think there was a, a series of different moments, but I think one, one in particular that stands out is, um, do you remember when, when Vine was popular? Yes. Yes. And yeah. Okay. So Vine was popular and I was trying to come up with a, uh, for the company. Sometimes we make our own products or ideas or designs outside of our, our clients, uh, that we do advertising for. And, um, you know, we had this idea to do something called Peak It, which was a search engine for Vines. And it was a way for you to type something in because Vine is notoriously, it was hard to find different videos and categories. I invested all this money, thought it was a good idea, worked with the team, a team at the company to create it. 
but I never really liked Vine. I never vibed with it. I didn't really believe in it. But I believed in trying to make a lot of money really fast. And Twitter was buying all these like Vine search engine companies for millions and millions of dollars. So we engineered it, programmed it, launched it, tried to market it. I tried to sell it to my clients to do advertising on it. But in my heart, I never really believed in it. But I believed in making some Benjamins. I believed in stacking some Benjamins. And uh, I put it out there about two weeks after it launched, Twitter shut down Vine. And they, they, you know, Vine was over. And so I invested all this money, time, and resources in trying to peddle it to my clients as a sort of media placement. And uh, it all fell apart, and I lost a ton of money on it. And that's when I realized that if you, if you are trying to persuade people in something that you don't 100% believe in your heart is right or your gut, it, it will always end up backfiring. And that was sort of my real-world painful hundreds of thousands of dollars example. That's I was just thinking so painful in the wallet. Well, and I look at some of these influencers out there that are trying to be original, right? Your first principle in the book is about being original. But when I think of influencers trying to be original, it's a bunch of me too, Instagram videos, people taking shots that are supposedly either sexy or different. And everybody's trying so hard to be original, but it doesn't really feel that authentic. How is being how does being soulful mesh with being original? Yeah. So I think the idea behind being soulful and, and the thing that you're talking about is really in the advent of social media, part of being original is being a good storyteller. And that's not storytelling. That's, those are moments in time. You know what? Look at the ravioli from this restaurant. Well now from home that I just cooked, you know, look at, the, look at this ravioli, uh, look at these, uh, the, you know, fancy new shoes I bought, et cetera, et cetera. Those, that's not storytelling. Those are moments in time that people really feel match up to the brand they're trying to convey. People are trying to always, you know, be on brand for themselves and create a brand. And my philosophy in business and in life is this idea of being original, which is really about, there's three components to it. One is about understanding your set of beliefs knowing what you stand for and not being afraid to be vulnerable and telling people what those values are. It's not mirror and matching your audience. It's doing the opposite. It's really just hey, this is, this is who I am. And I'm going to, I'm going to show you some psychic skin and open myself up. That's sort of one part of being original. And the second is the persuasive power of storytelling, being able to have your own unique experiences and wrap those in a story there might be an allegory or a metaphor for a point you're trying to make. And it can be novels, movies, things that relate to you that mean something to you. And storytelling is part of being original because these are moments that make up who you are. They're, they're points in your, in your life. And the last part I think about being original is thinking about the power of relationships and the idea I call it in the book, never be closing. And that idea is not being transactional but being relationship-based with everything that you do and all the people that you come in contact with, it's about playing the long, long game and realizing that success and business and being prosperous and making money, all of those things, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's not one transaction to another. It's not creating a peak it for Vine so you can get rich fast. It's about not thinking about that. It's about being in it for the long term and the long game. And those are the three principles 
that I find uh, make you an original, authentic person. I want to ask about I want to ask about all those things, but I will ask about storytelling, Jason, because I know there's people listening to this who are saying, but I'm not a good storyteller. You are a pro storyteller having to tell stories in a very short amount of time to an audience. Yeah. What are some of the keys to good storytelling that can help somebody get better? You always want to start a story with the end or the point that you're trying to make and work backwards. When I think of personal stories, I always think of making a list of your influences, whether whether it's role models. You know, I could tell you a story about David Bowie and why David Bowie was an original. And I know that story by heart because I've told that story. I've, I've learned that story and it's, it comes from my heart. And I could tell you a story about why I think Blade Runner is the most powerful movie that I've ever seen. Even though you might hate Blade Runner and not like it, I can tell you a story about why that means something to me. And it, it talks about uh, humanity and all of us and why it connects us. And I can do the same with with books and, and, you know, famous people and people that I admire, all those data points tell you who I am. But storytelling is a learned skill. I call it habits because a habit can be practiced enough that over time it becomes second nature. Like part of the book talks about being a generous person. I was never a generous person. That's an important principle that I had to learn to make it become a habit. I wasn't born that way. And I think storytelling is the same thing. You're not necessarily born a great storyteller. It is a skill or a habit you can learn. And one thing that I always would do for a long time is I'd write stories in my notebook. I'd record myself telling those stories. I would listen to the key things I was saying, my intonation, if I was making the point, if it was dragging on too long, et cetera. I would re-record that story and I would do that over and over until the stories became second nature. It's not to memorize it word for word. It's to give yourself a sense of how that stories are coming across to other people. And then you really know the way you start a story, the way you end a story, and then you can sort of riff the middle part in between. But it is a skill like anything else that it needs to be practiced and rehearsed and learned. I love the idea of going and rehearsing the story. And I also like the idea, and, and you speak to this in your book, that if that story's authentic, people are going to know it, right? Like you, you reference a study in the book about uh, the people's, we'll just call it their baloney meter here. People's baloney meter, like they smell it. Like we know it when you're telling me a story and it's it's a fabrication versus a story that even the way you just told me about Blade Runner, yeah, yeah. I knew you really like Blade Runner. <laughs> right. Yes, I do. <laughs> Uh, no, I'm a dork. <laughs> but, uh, but, but but I do like that study. I don't know if you remember that study because I just I just remember in a cursory way. But there's some study you reference that talks about how people just know that you're full of it. Yeah, it's your BS meter. It's your uh, meter of detecting uh, truth or not. And um, I, fr- I forget the names of the uh, professors that conducted that test, but it really was the idea of if people were thinking about the person telling the story and if it was true or not, they would normally get it wrong. If they let their subconscious tell them if they were telling the truth or not, they were like 99% on the money. Like just a visceral reaction. Yeah. The gut reaction or the visceral reaction, not breaking down the points of the story and writing it down and being like, yeah, that makes sense. 
It was the emotional versus the rational. And when they let their emotions take over, they were almost always on the money if someone was telling the truth or not. And I think you know that people know that when they're talking to someone, if something seems a little off or not right, but then they let their rational side overtake their thought process and they go, okay, yeah, maybe that that makes sense. Maybe that's right. Maybe that's true. Uh, But the emotional gut level of people is incredibly powerful. Well, and I love that on a soulful level, that's how, how we connect. I would be remiss if while we were talking to you, if I didn't talk about some of the work you do and some of the very persuasive work. And I saw, I saw a piece that you did for the White House. And actually, as an introduction, this is a piece that your company Mechanism did for the White House. And let's listen to just a little clip, and then I want to ask you the story behind this. I'm Barack Obama, and it's on us. It's on us is a cultural movement to fundamentally shift the way we think about sexual assault. One in five women and one in 16 men in the U.S. today is sexually assaulted while in college. And for transgender students, the rates are even higher. Only 13% report the crime, 40% fear reprisal from their attacker, and the problem is getting worse. So we needed to reframe the conversation. Instead of focusing on those who commit sexual assault, we are focusing on the vast majority of students, the men and women who can do something about it, the allies in this movement. Let's put the responsibility on all of us to fight campus sexual assault, support survivors, and change the numbers forever. This just seems like, and then you go in to talk about, by the way, uh, how the program works, but this seems like just such a super important project. And and I'd love to hear the story behind this because I can just imagine, Jason, in my head. So I've got a story in my head that you guys answer the phone and it's somebody from the White House and you guys think a friend of yours is putting you on. And, you're, and then, no, yeah. it really is from really is a call from the White House. Tell me about that. Yeah, so we really got the call from the White House, which is the the outreach was from the Office of Public Engagement um, at the White House. And this campaign has been going on now uh, since 2014. So we're six years into this campaign, which is It's On Us, which is a fighting against sexual assault on college campuses. And there's about 500 chapters nationwide. And there's, you know, we fought a lot of legislation to keep in place legislation against sexual assault on college campuses, education, making people aware of what's happening. But the original way it started was the idea behind the campaign is to talk to college age men who are typically bystanders and they'll they'll go by the, the bro code and sort of let this happen and see it happening. And a lot of that has changed because of the evolved nature of of men and women in this country, but also this campaign did help it. But when we first got the call, back to your question, they had found us because we had done a campaign for Axe Body Spray. And do you remember Axe Body Spray? Yes. Yeah. All right. So when this was appropriate for the times, there were ads where you'd spray it, you know, you'd be a high school or college kid and you'd spray it on and women would flock to you because you know, you had this mediocre smelling scent, scent all right? over your body. Yeah. <laughs> and so we had done, uh, I would say Unilever brand and we had done some work for Axe Body Spray, which was talking to the same college age men. And when uh, someone in the White House, they were looking for an outside agency to work on, on this idea, they sort of, by a stroke of genius, realized, well, if this agency could talk to that age group and 
they could convince them that spraying something on will attract women, what if they could talk to that same demographic to convince them that being a bystander when a woman's in trouble is the wrong thing to do? That's really when we got the call. And a couple of days later, I was sitting in the um, uh, Roosevelt room. We were around a table and Joe Biden's convincing me and persuading me why he didn't use the method of you're just an ad guy. Wouldn't it be good to to do something good for once in your life instead of just <laughs> schlock, you know, selling ice cream and sneakers? He used he used this persuasive power of positivity, which is uh, something I talk about in the book, where he used that idea of imagine if we together could change the way women feel in their in their freshman year of college when they feel like they're being preyed upon by you know typically older college men that are making them feel uncomfortable. And, you know, 20% of women are getting sexually assaulted. Imagine if we could be part of changing that narrative. Wouldn't that be amazing? And he pitched it in the, in the positive way, not the, you know, do something good for a change yeah. way. And it was incredibly powerful. And before I knew it, I was like, we'll do it. You know, we'll do, we'll do free work for six years. No problem. <laughs> but it's funny the way that he framed it though, that makes me think, you know, you leave the White White House feeling the heaviness of what you're about to embark on. But when yeah. he presents it that way, you really feel the heaviness because now yeah. it's us doing something positive for somebody else and making a huge difference for somebody else. You talk about a time when the storytelling had to be exactly right, Jason. It seems like in this campaign, especially, I mean, don't get me wrong, Nordstrom, it's got to be pretty good. <laughs> got to be yeah. great for Ben and Jerry's. But when you're talking about people's lives this is this is when the storytelling's got to hit yeah you have to have to write note and you have to on top of that convince men and that's why you know so much of storytelling is is the packaging and the handle and this was uh this campaign was called it's on us which isn't don't assault women you know it's it's not get off your ass and do something it's it's on us which is a very inclusive message that's saying we're we're in this together. It's our responsibility to stop this, but it's done in a really tight, simple way where you're it's easily understandable. You know, it's on us to change rape culture. It's on us to end sexual assault. It's on us to not be bystanders. Very simple language, but it's memorable and sticky and it's repeatable. And that that helps make it make for good storytelling. We'll link to it in our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. We'll also link to the book, The Soulful Art of Persuasion, which was just, it was a fantastic read, Jason. Thank you so much for talking to us about being soulful today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me uh, on the show. I want to maybe next time be, be across the card table for me. Absolutely. Well, board game night when you're here. Amen, brother. Awesome. trivia fans i'm joe's mom's neighbor doug and today hey pal pal listen i think we need to learn to work together better what the if if what if you let me help with the sound effects more i think this show could really take off think like several listeners versus both well i I don't know i I don't know i think that's probably trust me trust me pal just go ahead with your trivia and i'll Give you a little sample. Steve, start that music we talked about.
Hey there, Star Wars lovers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and you're about to embark on a galactic adventure known as My Trivia. Come on, hop in my El Camino-themed land speeder. Let's take her for a spin. So here, as we jet about the lush planet known across the galaxy as Star Terraria Unilateral Planet in Disguise, or for short, Stupid. Never mind, never mind. I'm reminded that we haven't refueled the speeder in a while. I gotta gas her up. But I'll just jump right to today's trivia question while we do that. What's the unit of currency I'll use from a Star Wars film to put more fuel in my speeder? I'll be back with an answer just after I fight off these bad guys using some epic sounding sword play. Take that, Stormtrooper. Well, after the biggest sound effects parade I think we've ever had on the show, where, where, <laughs> where's that guy been hiding? In the corner. We should talk about freelancing talent. So if you don't have freelancing talent just hanging out in the basement for the past eight years, waiting for their big moment to shine, and frankly, if you do, it might be a little wasteful. Instead, it's probably better if a business can quickly pivot in order to meet a goal. Maybe an unexpected obstacle occurs, making it impossible to meet your deadline with the size of your current team. Small teams, well, increasingly in this environment, any team needs to be able to pivot quickly. And you got to make sure that you keep your budget responsible so you only add talent when you need it. How do you do that? Where do you go to find on-demand talent? How much is it going to cost? How can you be certain they'll deliver? Finding the right freelancer can be time-consuming, frustrating, and expensive. Well, Fiverr's platform helps keep businesses moving with a network of trusted freelance talent. We use Fiverr all the time on this show. I mentioned earlier that the woman who voiced our recent coffee commercial came directly from Fiverr. The woman at the beginning of the show who introduces the headlines came from Fiverr. The more I think about it, OG, the more there's Fiverr all, all over the show. What type of uh, thing did you just use for your financial planning use Fiverr for? We had to have a phone like our, uh, thank you for calling that whole yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Done. Cool. So whether you're launching your first business, scaling your current business, or in need of extra support to complete a project, Fiverr's here to help you evolve, adapt, and grow. Fiverr connects businesses with freelancers who offer hundreds of digital services, including graphic design, copywriting, doing your incoming calls like they do for OG, or your coffee commercial like they do for us. Find what you're looking for instantly. You can search by service, deadline, price, reviews, and more, and you know exactly what you're paying up front. No negotiating needed. 24-7 customer service, quality talent you can count on. Sellers have worked with some of the most influential brands in the world. In fact, it's funny. The woman OG who voiced that coffee commercial for us worked with British Airways right before she worked with us. How about that? From British Airways, then she stepped up to the big time working for Stacking Benjamins. Finding talent for your project has never been easier. Review seller ratings, buyer feedback, and select the right freelancer based on your budget. Check out Fiverr.com today and receive 10% off your first order because you're a stacker by using our code SB. It's super easy. Find all the digital services you need in one place at F-I-V-E-R-R.com, code SB. Again, that's Fiverr.com, code SB.
Hey there, Star Wars fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And hey, 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 pal. Oh my God. Hey. Oh my God. You again? What now? I just gotta say, I think you're doing great. I just kind of, I just wanted to let you know. We're live, sound effects guy. We're live. What are you doing? Okay, okay. Just start from the top, pal. I got your back. Oh my God. Okay. All right. <sighs> Hey there, Star Wars fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and wow, I sure took care of those stormtroopers with my lightsaber. Now to the ship to get back to Joe's mom's house so we can finish this epic story. So what's today's trivia answer? The question was this. In this amazing Star Wars-themed segment using lots of sound effects, maybe too many if you ask me, What's the unit of currency I just used from a Star Wars film to put more fuel in my speeder? The answer? While I have no idea what the local unit to buy unleaded gasoline is here, I do know that the currency used to buy it is an Imperial credit. Luke Skywalker earned in the neighborhood of uh, 2,000 credits when he sold his land speeder and Han Solo bartered with Obi-Wan Kenobi over the cost of a discreet charter flight between Tatooine and Alderaan for between 10,000 and 17,000 credits. <laughs> that sounds like a lot. Maybe I should get my paychecks in Imperial credits. Okay, here we are. Now, on to my cruiser for my voyage back to Joe's mom's basement. See you soon, people. May the 4th be with you. that off stop it stop it you're ruining the effect sorry so close they almost pulled it off production values are almost there they're starting to gel <laughs> just, just another eight years of them working together as closely as they've been working together this whole time as from what i can tell uh we're coming up on episode 900 and we're just starting to gel we're getting there man Big thanks to Jason Harris for stopping by some fantastic stories there, OG, of uh, putting your best foot forward. Anything that you can do from a storytelling standpoint, it just makes complex stuff super simple for other people. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first, OG. What do you think? Having a good lightsaber and maybe uh, a droid to help you... Uh, figure stuff out. I really like the guy who or the gal who put all nine star Wars movies in the same oh, YouTube clip. You sent that to me and that made my head hurt at first. I didn't know what was going on. And then later on, I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, why is this two hours long? Cause I thought it was just going to be the opens, but no, it was one frame divided into nine windows yep. running all nine shows at the same time. At the exact same time. Yep. I do have to so say I value that the most time savings. I do to say it fed my ADD. It did. <laughs> uh, did you fast forward to the end to see which one was the longest? I did not. Which one was it? I don't remember. No. The the second to last one, I think. It's uh, it's actually your loved ones in your time. Time. Okay. So I was right. So it just helps right. with time. Yes. It's why they made buying quality term life insurance actually simple. Head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now to get a free quote. I was uh, talking to a mutual friend of ours, OG, 
that I didn't realize owned a Haven life policy. And it was funny because he said to me, you know how easy it was? I actually got life insurance in five minutes. It was so easy. And I'm like, wow, I didn't know that. He started laughing because of course he knows that we talk about this every show. Application is online. It's simple, instant coverage decision, affordable prices. Uh, you will see when you go there to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life. Uh, today, we're going to throw out the lifeline to Matthew. Say hi, Matthew. Hey, Joe and OG. This is Matthew from Baton Rouge. My wife and I have been working to reduce her student loan debt and have about 24000 at 4% left. Unfortunately, we just realized that about four years ago, she used a Parent PLUS loan totaling 22000 at 7% that hasn't been on our radar and basically doubles the amount of debt left. We missed them since they weren't on her credit report and only found out about it when her mom got a statement in the mail. We also know that her mom will not be able to afford any payments on these loans due to her minimum income. Fortunately, all these loans are in deferment until the end of the year, and at that time, we should have about $18,000 to make a lump sum payment, plus any additional income we get from my wife once she starts working. Since this basically leaves us responsible for both loans, I was just calling to see if you had any recommendations for how you would use the lump sum and how you would prioritize between the loans in our name and the loans in her, her mom's name. Any uh, strategies or other advice you have would be greatly appreciated. Thanks for the help. Wow, Matthew, that's a lot worse than finding $10 in your jeans. Like, you know, you find this $10 bill you didn't know existed. How about finding a bunch yeah. of student loan debt you didn't know existed? So this is one that mom took out, basically. Parent plus loan. Yeah. And now daughter has to pay it. Hmm. Boy, I don't know what to do about this. <laughs> there is no happy ending because eventually it gets paid. You know, the government's not dumb. They come after all your money eventually, including your social security. So you can't leave mom hang, holding the bag. So I think you just got to try to refinance it. See if you can't figure out a way to lower that interest rate quite a bit. I mean, 7% is really high for uh, student loans these days. It's in mom's name. So mom's going to be have to be the one that refinances it. So maybe she can. If she can't, then uh, since the balances are pretty similar, I guess I'd probably go after the one that's in mom's name first and get that one gone away. I think he says like 20 grand. So I challenge you to come up with the ability to pay that off in a year and get that one away from mom as quickly as possible. Uh, Matthew talks about his mom not having uh, a lot of income, that she has minimal income coming in. But I have to say this, that lots of issuers of student loan debt right now, more willing to negotiate right now than they may have been before. So I would, I would contact them as soon as possible, even though the loans are in forbearance currently, I would contact them right in the middle of all this devastation going on OG and say, Hey, I'm not sure uh, what my choices are here. And uh, I think that lenders are more than happy to outline how many different options you may have, which may be an expanded plate of options versus what you had a year ago. Yeah. I don't think there's going to be a lot of option to lump sum settle it basically, because I, I think no. they know that it's guaranteed, but you might be able to give it a lower rate, like you said, or a better, better term or something down the line. So I think you got to take care of the one. I was just thinking about this I, from a perspective of, well, do I want to take care of me or do I want to take care of mom? I, I, you know, I think that you just got to take care of mom on this one because 
if she doesn't have the opportunity to pay anything or she's relying on her future uh, government income from Social Security and that sort of stuff and you muck with that too much, then she comes and lives at your house. Maybe that's what you want to have happen. But <laughs> but I would prefer my mom to <laughs> stay at her house if I were in, my, in your shoes. So take care of mom stuff. It takes you an extra year to pay it off. So be it. Thanks for the question, Matthew. And uh, sorry to hear about that surprise. That is not not a great surprise. Hey, we have a surprise for you, which is that OG, and we announced this already on the stacker and we announced it for our Facebook group, but OG is currently doing half hour sessions that are not, you know, usually at this point we talk about, Hey, OG and his team taking clients. Not going to talk about that at all. There's a lot of people, OG, that just need some help right now. And some people have been surprised as they've called you. At the end of the call, I know talking to you, they've they've said, okay, well, tell me about what you do. No G's gone. Nope. Not going to do that right now. We're just going to take care of whatever your current business is. So uh, there are limited slots, but if you just need somebody to talk to, whether it's to hear OG's bad dad jokes, uh, but OG, you haven't had that be the case. You've had people- I haven't had bad dad jokes yet. But you've had people with some serious concerns. Some people have threatened to talk about like football or something, but- uh, it doesn't really, doesn't really happen. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of people that have a lot of questions and stuff going on or just kind of one-off type stuff that we can just help with. And I was kind of free the month of May. So I figured what the heck, you know, I'm sitting at home anyway, might as well talk to people. So by all means, if you're looking to hire an advisor, we'll do those phone calls too, <laughs> but don't, don't, we're not mixing the two up. If you just want to chat because you just want to chat to some with somebody different than your quarantine partner for the last eight weeks, you know, follow the links, pick the time. And we'll uh, we'll just hang out for 30 minutes and call it a day. They've been some great conversations. Where do people go, OG? Oh, it's the same link. It's the stackmanagements.com slash OG. OG. Yep. And that will lead you there. Just follow the instructions. All right. That's going to do it for today. OG, may the fourth be with you, man. I call today the day before my wife's birthday. So I don't know what you guys call it, but it just sets the stage for uh, Mrs. OG's birthday. And this particular birthday ends in a zero. Oh boy. Starts with the four. Oh boy. Oh, it doesn't, so, doesn't you just totally just gave it out. What? Oh, well, I mean, you gotta just, I mean, she's not 50 for crying out loud. She's still spring chicken. Well, as but long as it's 30, that's for sure. Well, two epic days for you and the OG family. It's quite a party today and tomorrow. All right, Doug, you got it from here. What should we have learned today? So what should we have learned today? First, take some advice from our headlines. While we've all had to change up our routines, the winners are the people who find a way to keep moving despite it all. Second, how about a nugget from Jason Harris? In an age of distrust, the best way to sell yourself, your product, and your ability? Be very, very, very much yourself. Keeping a growth mindset and being the best you is the key to success in an age when everyone else is pretending to be something they aren't. But the big lesson? 
if you get a chance, negotiate with Joe's mom in Imperial Credits because she is all about it. She agreed I can be paid 20,000 Imperial Credits for every load of her laundry I finish. That's amazing. We want to send a special thanks to Jason Harris for coming down to the basement. You can find out more about Jason at soulfulart.com or on our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. Wow, that isn't annoying at all, sound effects guy. This show is created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter, at SBenjamin'sCast, or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm pretty much the guy in charge of everything around here. Trust me, this well-oiled machine didn't get like this all by itself. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. There's no way you take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor. Hey, uh, what's the conversion rate between an Imperial Credit and a Kit Kat bar? 100,000 to 1? Oh, no way. Oh, I just got completely forked. Ugh. All right, someone get him out of here. I'm totally over this guy. Welcome to the after show. This is the part of the show that doesn't exist. If you're new to the show, what happens here stays here. And uh, you're like an Alabama song on the road again. Did I tell you about the time that I tell us about your recent adventure? Yeah. So, you know, our recent adventure over a year ago was that we moved and mom moved and everybody moved to Detroit. We had a lot of reasons to move to Detroit and uh, we're super excited about it. Over the course of the last year, we've had some things happen. You know, we could talk about that, but it... Uh, Nobody cares. Thank no, you. No. Uh, there are some big things, though, which is that um, we actually learned from... When we sold our house in Texarkana before we moved to Detroit, OG, we learned living in that three-room apartment over my buddy's garage for six months... Mm -hmm. That, Where you almost died of carbon monoxide poisoning. Yeah, every but other bes day. besides that, it was great. <laughs> we we actually did. If those just sleep with oxygen masks on just in case, because <laughs> you didn't know if you're going to go in your sleep. If if those windows open, everything would have been better. However, everything was was good, and I, and we very much enjoyed that lifestyle. So for a variety of reasons, we 
are headed to Arizona. Uh, Cheryl absolutely loves what she does, did not love what she was doing here in the Detroit area. So she's in healthcare and had the opportunity to go back to serving more populations that are a little more underserved. And so for six months, she's on a contract in Globe, Arizona. And as you're listening to this, we are pulling into Globe, Arizona, uh, probably in the next few hours, if you're listening to it, uh, the day that it comes out. So we uh, heading across country. Just a short drive from Detroit to Arizona. Yeah. And thank God everything's open and you can just, yeah, yeah, visit wherever you want. Stop along the way. Taking a cat for two days, too. That's going to be fun. But besides that, here's here's the cool thing. We did not do this to save money. However, what initially happened, and this is, I think, the cool financial story, is that initially when Cheryl got this opportunity, she said, hey, I'll just go to Arizona. She gets housing and a car allowance while she's there. And we'll just spend, you know, every other weekend, we'll just go back and forth, right? We'll just spend weekends together and we'll just keep the house in Detroit and then see what happens coming up. And then I got this crazy idea that I would have never had before this. And this is kind of, and I know everybody can't either A, afford to do this or B, isn't in a position, whether it's it's uh, the type of job they have or um, they have kids at home, whatever it might be. But my kids are grown. We just have the cat. I looked around at all this stuff. I thought about some of the awesome guests we've had on this show doing crazy, awesome, fun stuff. I remember the six months where we had everything in storage and uh, lived in that three-room apartment. And I said to Cheryl, I, I said, what if we just sold everything? And her first question was, what do you mean by everything? <laughs> Tell me about the cat. <laughs> yeah. and, and I said, you know, all this, all this stuff. And she's like, well, we love that house. I'm like, we've loved the last two houses we've owned. We have to, we have to believe that our ability to pick a house that we're going to like when we decide to have one again, like we can pick a good house. Why wouldn't we, why would we keep this overhead when I can work from anywhere? If I can really work from anywhere, I can just follow you wherever you go on these six month uh, contracts that you're doing. And frankly, because of the fact that we have no overhead at that point, there's no mortgage, no rent payment, no car payment, nothing. Didn't have a car payment already, but now we have free car. Why, why wouldn't I just follow you? And then between those things, I just go work. I keep working, but we work from someplace cool. So I'm very proud, very happy to say I'm, I'm sad to say the first part, which is that we're leaving Detroit. That's the part I'm sad about. Sad leaving. Yes, for now. That's true. Uh, but sad, you know, I loved having Andy as my neighbor, loved our local group of friends here, loved, uh, being close to family. That was, that was great, but we are selling everything as soon, as soon as we're allowed to sell our house, we can sell houses virtually, but I've been told by you know, I believe as you do, OG, to surround yourself with smart people. The smart people in my corner are telling me, do not try to do a virtual home sale. All that's going to happen is nobody's going to buy your house. And then it's going to look like it's been on the market forever when the market finally right. opens up. So wait the two weeks it's going to take for houses, hopefully, to be ready to sell or maybe four weeks and then sell your house. And I've also been told there's some pent up demand just from people that have realized they don't like their house very much. 
or maybe they don't like their spouse very much and they, they, they need to move, but whatever there's, and, there, and there's also a bunch of people that were, you know, were in the middle of changing houses before. So initially, no matter what the market does, I've been told here locally that it's going to be a free for all for a few weeks and then it will go wherever the economy goes. So we are selling our house. I'm also going to sell my rental house just so I can be completely virtual and not have to worry about any of that stuff. We will then have two incomes, no rent, no mortgage. What's your first income from? What's my first income from? What do you mean? Well, I get that Cheryl's working, but you said you have two income. What's, what's the other one? Oh, I'll be out on the corner <laughs> <laughs> with a sign that says, we'll podcast yeah. for food. Exactly. Okay. Y- yes. Because I was going to say, if you're making money doing this, we need to talk. Yes. And then after the six months is over... And she's looking at other contracts, either staying in the same place, maybe going someplace else. We don't know. I actually like the fact we don't know. Uh, we have already signed for a, a house in Bali for the month of December. So we'll be living there. And I'm thinking next summer, like to, after the next six month contract, live in Portugal for a month. And I will work during the day. And um, Cheryl can take a, take a month break. That's my big news. Jealous. Yeah. We'll, we'll see how jealous you are three months into it. Why? Cause I have a feeling the stories are going to get a little, <laughs> a little fun again. Well, you know, it's not globe Arizona by the map does not appear to be a gigantic metropolis, but by the same token, it's not far away from all sorts of stuff. So, you know, there's a lot of outdoor stuff and Phoenix isn't far away and that sort of stuff. So, so yeah, yeah. it'll be fun. Yeah. It's going to be fun. So Southwest here we come. I've got a three-year-old, so I'm not doing anything ever again for as long as I live because I'm going to be freaking 57, 57. When she 57, graduates from high school? When she gets done with high school. Yeah. So yeah, I'll be seven, six years older than you are now. Yeah. Is that crazy? It's crazy. Yeah. Because then you'll be really super old. Thank you. Thanks for getting that in. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans. And all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.